Hello. Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Thank you. Okay. Look, good morning, guys. I, uh, this verse I'm going to be preaching on was a little bit frustrating as I was preparing it because there is so much in it. Like, literally, we could stay a couple of months in that verse alone, okay? And we'll read it soon. So I was talking to Pastor Ron. Maybe I was thinking maybe we can stop for lunch and then bring the lunch back here, and then I could, we can continue if you guys are okay with that. There's a lot. No, but I had, with all joking aside, I condensed it because, I mean, just half of that verse we could spend a couple of sermons on, okay? But we just, we don't have the time, so we have to condense it. So what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be looking through 1 Corinthians 1, 30, 1 chapter 1, verse 30. We're going to be learning what we can from that verse. The title is, What Christ Became to Us. And just a kind of an introduction, uh, we see that Paul is the, is, uh, wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, this was a church that Paul founded while in Corinth. We see that in Acts 1, uh, Acts 18, I'm sorry, verses 1 until 8. No need to, to uh, read that. I'm not going to be reading it. You guys can look at it later. This, uh, this epistle is corrective in nature. What does that mean? The church in Corinth was plagued with a lot of issues. And when I say a lot of issues... A lot of issues. Paul wrote this letter to address some of those, some of those things. Okay? Our, our verse specifically is found in the section of this letter where Paul addressed an issue that, that was prevalent in the Greek culture that probably might have seeped in or infiltrated the church there in Corinth. And what is that issue? The Greeks, the Greek culture prized the pursuit of wisdom through human effort and logic. That was a source of pride for them. Okay, that's something they boasted about, pursuing, those, pursuing human wisdom in that way. And as a result, the majority of them found the message of the gospel to be foolish due to its simplicity. In other words, it does not make sense to them, as a Greek, why a God would send his son to die for our sins, and by believing in him, we would be saved. It didn't make sense to them. And you guys have to understand, the Greeks were pantheistic. What does that mean? They believed in many gods. They, believed, they had a God for almost everything. So it did not make sense to them when Paul came and preached about the salvation in the son of the only one true God, that that is the only way to be saved. That, didn't make, that was foolishness for them. Okay? And in addition, Paul further stresses that God mainly called those whom the world's elite would disregard as nobodies. So I'm talking about those that the world, in the world system, would consider, would consider strong, noble, and wise. That does not mean that God doesn't call people from that, that pertain to that, but mainly God called those that are disregarded, those that the world would not even look twice at, the nobodies. Why would he do that? It was to put to shame the strength, the wisdom of the world's elite so they could not boast in those things as a means to know God and be saved. And as we go through today, I want you guys to keep that in mind. God specifically said, not my strength, not, not human strength, not human wisdom is not a way to know God. That is not the means to know God. And that humbles you a lot. So that's what, I'm, and I want us to remember that as we go on. So with that line of thought, we're going to learn what Christ became to us. Okay? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 verse 30. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go with the points 
I have like 17 points, so let's, I hope you guys are patient. No, I'm kidding, I, I condensed it. 1 Corinthians 1.30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. I'm going to read it one more time. But by his doing, God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. The first point I want us to look at, it is a work of God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling the church in Corinth that it was God's work. It was because of what he did that they are in Christ. The Greek word for doing, it's very interesting. It means from or from out of. So a literal translation of that section of the verse would read the following. Out of him, out of God, however... You are in Christ Jesus. So in other words, it originated from God. It came from him, out of him. And, and, and from that place, that's where, you know, we, we, we were put in Christ. We were made to be in Christ. So what does that show us? The fact that we are in God, that we are in Christ, is a work of God. He's the one that initiated our salvation. He took the first step. He is the first cause of the fact that we are saved. Okay, so you're telling me, okay, that's great. God initiated our salvation. The next question would be, okay, so why did he have to do that? Why couldn't we be the initiator? Why couldn't we take that first step, be the first cause of our salvation? Let's go to Ephesians 2.1. Keep your, your finger on 1 Corinthians 1.30. We'll be flipping back and forth. But Ephesians 2.1, it reads the following. Paul is talking to the, to the church in Ephesus. And you were dead, he's referring to the church there, and you were dead in your, tres, in your trespasses and sins. Let's read verse 2 as well. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3 as well. Among, whom, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So he's, tech, he's telling the church in Ephesus, basically, you guys, this was what you guys were once. You guys were dead in your trespasses and sin. And that, that teaches a very important truth in Christianity, is that before we became a believers, we were dead spiritually. If we read Romans 8, we're not going to read it right now, but it talks about how the mind bent on the flesh cannot please God. It is impossible for those that are hostile to God to please him, to do what is right before him. So because of that, God had to be the one that initiated our salvation. He's the one that took the first step. That does not mean that he forces us to believe in him, that he does not give us the choice to either accept or reject what Christ did for us on the cross, but it does mean that he had to make the first step. He had to initiate it. It was his work because we in ourselves can't do it. Because we're hostile to God. We were his enemies. We were dead. We couldn't take that first step. So, so what we see here is that our salvation in Christ originated in God. He is the one who initiated. And what does this show? This shows that it precludes any boasting from our part because our salvation is not based on our wisdom, strength, or perceived status. I cannot come to know God in my own wisdom, in my own human wisdom, apart from the wisdom that comes from God. 
My own strength won't, cause, won't, won't save me. And whatever status I may or may not have in society, if I'm considered great or noble in society, that's not what's going to save me. That's not what God, what, what's going to use, that, that will cause me to, to turn to God and be saved. No. That doesn't mean anything. There are those that God has given that to them in his, in his providence. But that's not what saves you. We can't use those things. We can't rely on those things for salvation. That's not how it works. So we see that we can go back to 1 Corinthians 1.30. So we see that it's by God's doing we are in Christ Jesus. Now, what we're going to see now, we set the foundation. God initiated our salvation. He's the one that he was the first cause, right? But now we're going to learn about what Christ became to us, okay? The first thing, okay? Christ became wisdom, who became to us wisdom from God. Paul states here that Christ became the wisdom of God to the Christian. This is, tr this is the true wisdom. And this is in contrast to the human wisdom, the humanistic wisdom that the Greeks prized. So he said, here in, in the Greek culture, you guys prize wisdom, you prize logic, the pursuit of it through human effort. But let me tell you about true wisdom. Let me tell you what, what that is. What does it look like? Albert Barnes, he was a theologian, and he was pastor of the First Presbyterian Church, First Presbyterian Church of Philadelphia from 1830 to 1868. He said the following regarding this wisdom in the Barnes Notes of the Bible. He, Jesus, is to us the source of wisdom. It is by him that we are made wise. This cannot mean that his wisdom becomes strictly and properly ours, that it is set over us and reckoned as our own, for that is not true. But it must mean simply that Christians have become truly wise by the agency, the teaching, and the work of Christ. Philosophers have attempted to become wise by their own investigations and inquiries, but Christians had become wise by the work of Christ. That is, it had been, it had been his instructions that they had been, acquaint, had been made acquainted with the true character of God, with his law, with their own condition, their sinful condition, and with the great truth that there was a glorious immorality, immortality, I'm sorry, beyond the grave. In other words, we as Christians are made wise because of Christ. Because in Christ, we know, we know of God, we know of our nature, we know of the truth of, of, of his word. That is true wisdom right there. Not this humanistic wisdom, not this wisdom that the world prizes, that thinks of the gospel as foolishness, no. True wisdom is found only in Christ because in him we understand the ways of God. And we can grow in that. So we see that Jesus is the source and embodiment, the wisdom of God. As Christians who are indwelled by the wisdom of God, it's our responsibility to cultivate our knowledge of Christ and his word so, we can, so that we can glorify him in our lives and share about him with the unbelieving world around us. Let us cultivate, as Christians, our knowledge. First of all, know who Christ is. And then that's for our personal edification, our personal growth. And then with that knowledge, we go out and share Christ with the world. You know, I... I Highly encourage, when you read the word of God in the times that you have during, throughout the week, every day, make it a point as you read every passage, what does it teach me about God? That is the mo if, if we understand, if we learn and grow in our knowledge of God, of Christ, of who he is, everything else falls into place in our Christian walk. So I'd highly encourage you, just, you can highlight it, you can write it down. What does it teach you about God? How does it show me who he is? And then with that, with that, 
we go and share it with the world by sharing the gospel. And then with that true wisdom that we have, when we live our lives in the world, we'll see that we're truly, in the way we act and the things that we do, that we're truly living in, in wisdom. We're not doing certain things that could harm us, right? But let us, let us make a point to know Christ because he is the true wisdom. And let us make a point to share that with everyone around us. I know every time Pastor Ron gives me an opportunity to preach, I like to encourage us, ask the Lord every single day, open doors for me to share the gospel with those. Look at your lives, school, work, friends, family, as a mission field that God specifically put you there by his divine will to impact those that God put around you. And ask him to do that and see what happens. Because the places we are at is we were put there by God's will, the people that he put us around, specifically ordained by him to be in our lives. We have the wisdom of God dwelling in our lives. and He lives within us. Let us open our mouths and talk and share with those that God put in our life, okay? So we learned that Christ became wisdom, but that's not the only thing. Christ became righteousness as well. We see that in, back in our verse, and it says, and righteousness as well. So he became to us wisdom from God, but then also righteousness. Paul states here that Christ became the righteousness of God to the Christian. And the word righteousness refers to God's judicial approval, okay, to what is deemed right by the Lord after his examination, or in other words, what is approved in his eyes. So before I go into how Christ became our, our righteousness, I want to I just um, elaborate on one thing. What is the standard for righteousness? Well, this is, I, want, I want someone to answer. What, is the, what would you guys, if someone asked you, what is the standard for righteousness, what would you guys respond? Okay. How do we, how do we read, how do we know what is right or wrong before God? God's law, God's commandments. Okay, so that's what we know. We define what, what is righteous, because righteous, what is morally right and just by what we, he, what we read here. Okay, so God is the standard. Christ, when he lived on earth, when he took on flesh and lived on earth, exhibited that righteousness because he perfectly obeyed everything that's written here. He did not sin. There was no sin in Christ. In any second that he breathed here on earth, there was, was, there ever any, was there ever any sin in his life? So I want us to remember that, okay? So, okay, so you're saying Christ was righteous. He lived, he, lived, he, he obeyed God's, God's law and obeyed his commandments perfectly. How, what is that? So how did Christ become the righteousness of God for us? Okay, so let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. We're going to answer that question there. Second Corinthians 5.21. He made, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the, right, the righteousness of God in him. I'll read it again. He made him who knew no sin 
that's Christ, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What happened here is basically our, sound, our sin, I'm sorry, was accounted to Christ and his righteousness was accounted to us. And I want to read something from, from Paul Washer from the, in, in Knowing the Living God that's going to elaborate that a little bit more and then I'll explain more. The moment a person believes in Jesus, he is pardoned of his sin and the righteousness of God is imputed to him or placed into his or her account. God legally declares him to be righteous and treats him as, righteousness, as righteous. And I'm going to stop there. So what I said earlier, that Christ became, was righteous, perfectly righteous because he perfectly obeyed the laws and commands of God. Now, when Christ's righteousness became, became our own, what that means is that that righteousness was put into our account. So now when God sees us, he sees us as, right, as righteous and as someone who perfectly obeyed the law of, Christ, of, of God. So when God sees us, he considers us as Jesus, who perfectly obeyed everything God ever asked, ever commanded in his word. That's what, it's put into our account. But now look what God, what, what happened with Jesus, okay? The second part of the quote says, when, God, when Christ hung upon the cross, he did not become corrupt or unrighteous. We have to be very careful because there's a theology there. We've had some preachers preach it that say that when Jesus hung on that cross, he became the sin that we have. He became a pedophile. He became a, uh, a child molester. He became an adulterer. That is, that is evil. That is wrong. That is not what the Bible teaches. But what it does say, and I'm continuing the quote, rather God imputed our sins to him. So basically, our sins, each of our sins, was put into Christ's account. And that caused God to legally declare Jesus to be guilty and treated him as guilty. So instead of us being declared guilty, instead of us being punished and treated as such, for our sin, it was put into Christ's account. He was, he was treated as guilty. He was punished, despite the fact that he never sinned. And I think that's one of the most beautiful truths that we find in Scripture. Then now I stand before God, not in a righteousness of my own, but in the righteousness of Christ, and only because of what he did for us. And it's not based on anything that I ever did. It is a free gift of God. And there's nothing... It, it's mind-blowing when you think about it. That I didn't, all I have to do to, make the, to realize that in my life is to repent and believe the gospel. And once I do, the Lord sees, sees me as righteous as Christ is because it's been put into my account. Because he took onto his account my guilt, my sin, and was punished for it. He was treated as such by God. Legally declared as guilty and treated as such and punished for me. And I think for me that is... That is the greatest comfort. Because I don't have to strive. I don't have to worry. I've, this, is, this is who I am in Christ. This is who we are all in Christ. So we see that Christ became our wisdom. He became our righteousness. The third thing, Christ became sanctification. And I know I'm using these big words. I'm trying to simplify them. This is where the frustration came in because we can, go, we can literally dissect everything and just stay here for hours. Paul states that Christ became the, sanctif the sanctification of God for the Christians. So what does that mean, okay? So the word sanctification is derived from a word in the Greek that implies being set apart and therefore different, okay? Sanctification refers to the process of advancing in holiness and is used of the believer being progressively transformed 
by the Lord into his likeness or similarity of nature. So sanctification refers to the process in which we grow in holiness. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then it's also used of us being transformed into the nature of Christ. Into, because we see that in Romans 8.29. The Lord is forming Christ within us. That is his will for us. That the image of Christ, who Christ is, will be formed within us. Okay? So the question is now, how did Christ become the sanctification of God to us? Let's go to Hebrews 10.10. 10. Hebrews 10.10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let me repeat it again. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The question is, how did Christ become our sanctification? We were sanctified by the death of Christ. He died for our, for our sins, and by believing in him, by believing in what he did for us on the cross, we see two things. The first thing is that we're set apart to be a people in which Christ is being formed. Because that's the case with us, because Christ is being formed with us, within us, that means that we're different than the world. Our lives are to be different than the world because Christ is being formed within us. We've been set apart. This reminds a lot of the language from the Old Testament, how the Lord chose Israel to be distinct, set apart, sanctified, so that they in turn would reveal God and who he is to the, to the nations. Unfortunately, that did not happen. You know, we as a people have failed at that from day one. But that is as the church, God calls us to the same thing. He is forming Christ within us. We have been set apart to be different from the world. There should be such a distinction between how we live our lives, between how we conduct ourselves at work, between how we conduct ourselves at school, by how we conduct, we conduct ourselves as we gather together, that when a non-believer walks in through there, they see the difference. They notice the difference. And I'm sorry, but if we as a church don't do that, if we are like the people that are out there, the unbelievers and they come in here and see the same, then what do we have to offer? We're not, we're not any different than them. How can we talk about loving God, being holy, following him, if we ourselves do the exact same things? And unfortunately, we're seeing that more and more happen, but that should never be the case. We should be completely, radically different than anyone or any, uh, than the, the unbelieving world that we live in. The second thing is also, is that growing in holiness. Growing in holiness. Holiness is, means basically to be set apart, to be different. God said in, in Leviticus 19.2, I, the Lord your God, am holy, therefore you are to be holy as well. That's the standard. We are supposed to be holy as God is holy, but we can't because we're sinful. That's where Christ comes into play, and that's the encouragement because he helps us. So we are, we, 
we grow, sanctification is the process in which we got, Christ is being formed within us, but then also we're growing in holiness. All of that causes us to be different than the world. Okay? The final one, 1 Corinthians. Go back to 1 Corinthians 1.30. So we saw about Christ becoming wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification. The last thing is Christ became redemption. Paul then finishes by saying that Christ became the redemption of God for the Christian. Now, the word redemption in the Greek means buying back, repurchasing, winning back what was previously forfeited us. This word emphasizes the distance or the safety margin that results between the rescued person and and what previously enslaved them. So what were we enslaved to as Christians? Sin, exactly. We were enslaved to that. And the beautiful thing of what Christ did for us is that he redeemed us from that. He bought us back from that. But that was by a pro- with a price. So the question is, which means did Christ pay for our redemption? Let's go to 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Okay, so let's read, read the following. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold or from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers... So it's not like we were purchased back by, by human money, by, by gold. And we, that, that's impossible. That cannot redeem our souls. But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We have to understand, guys, we have, been pres- we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, which is the most precious thing that exists. Can you, be- can you understand that the price of your redemption was the blood of Christ being poured out for you, the blood of the Son of God to be poured out for you? The book of Psalms talks about that the redemption of the soul, the human soul, is costly. We see the cost right there. Jesus had to die, had to, had to pour out his blood for us so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be bought back. Be very careful as a Christian how you live your life because Christ paid the ultimate price for our redemption. God gave up his only son to die and atone for each and every one of our sins to be declared guilty on our behalf. Let us never take that for granted. Let us always keep that in the forefront. God paid everything to redeem us. Jesus gave up his own life for each and every one of you. That's because he loves you with a love that is foreign to us as human beings. He, he gave himself up for you. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. Let us never take that for granted. And that message in, self, in itself should excite us to go and share that with everybody. To ask the Lord for those opportunities to share and talk about that and what that means. So we see that Christ paid for our redemption by his blood. But what does that mean for us as Christians. 
Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse, verses 19 and 20. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. My friends, we, if the Holy Spirit, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, let us be very careful how we conduct ourselves and what we engage in. I know that we're not perfect, we sin, we stumble, but we ask forgiveness from God because of Christ paid the price for our sin. We get up and keep moving forward, making sure that we try to do whatever we can not to do that again and do whatever we need to not to do that again. But let's, keep it, let's be aware that the Holy Spirit dwells within each and every one of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let us be very careful with the way we conduct ourselves. The second thing is in verse 20, it talks about that we were bought by a price. Uh, verse 20, uh, verse 19, I'm sorry, that, we, that we're not our own. In other words, Jesus poured out his blood for us. We belong to him. That means that Jesus now has full authority over our lives. If we, were, if we call Jesus Lord, that means whatever we think, whatever we feel, whatever we say, whatever we do, is only what he wants us to. And I think that that's something that we're lost, that's being lost in the church nowadays, understanding the lordship of Christ in the life of the Christian. We either submit to him fully or don't. But let us not claim that he's our Lord if we're not submitting to him fully. Because then we're living a lie. Because then he's not our Lord. Christ purchased us by his blood. We belong to him. That means everything that we do, every assignment that we have in life is from him with a specific purpose. Which is first to glorify God and to make him known amongst those that he's set around us. So let us think about that, that we're not our own. He is our master, we're his slaves. A slave receives only from the master what, belong, what the assignment that he wants to. He's a loving master. He loves us. He's a master that gave up his only life for us. How can we not trust a master like that over our lives? who gave up himself for us, we can trust him completely. Everything that he allows, everything that he gives us to do is to, is to form Christ within us and is to benefit us. It is never to put us down. It is never to harm. But it is always to edify and to grow. And the same thing is with whatever God allows to happen in our lives. God works that, we see that in 828, he works that for good according to those who are called according to his purpose. That's each and every one of us. I told you guys the story. I was reading from the, 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 um, not Fox's Book of Martyrs, The Voice of Martyrs. And he was talking about a, a, a sister in China. She was in jail for six months, only six months for her, for her faith. Okay, and if you guys don't know, it's, China's getting even worse and worse and worse when it comes to being a professing Christian there. Okay? But she was there for six months. It was hard. They're not, they're not, they don't treat you nicely in there in a Chinese prison. But the perspective she had after she came out, when the guy interviewed her from the book I was reading, she was saying, those six months were the best time in my life. And he was like,
How can that, how can that have been so good? How could you have looked at that, looked back at that in that sense? She said that, the, her response is one that I'm, I'll never forget. She said, if God is a loving God, will I not receive the good and the, and the, and the bad and the hard in the same way? As coming from the hands of a sweet father, loving father who loves us. Is it not, are not both for our benefit. And that is the beauty of the Christian life. No matter what happens to us, no matter what God allows or doesn't allow, both are, are for our own good. Never to put us down. Never to harm. So that's why we're not our own. We can, we can trust Jesus. Like, how would you not, if, if someone gave his life for you, would you not trust him? For someone who did that for you. Yes. He, he paid the highest, the highest price he could pay for you. Would you not trust someone like that? Yes. So should we not try, trust Christ even more? We can rest as Christians. No matter what happens. We have a loving father that is in control of everything that happens to us. We're going to be okay. It's hard the, world, the, the Lord said hard things are going to happen in this world. But we take comfort because Christ overcome the world because we have his peace. So we see all these things that, we, that Christ became for us. And it's, it's beautiful truths. And I wish we could dive into each, every one of them for hours. There's so much to say. But one thing I do want to emphasize, that I do want to stress is this, that these things can only be found in Christ. If you have not repented and believed in the gospel, in the fact that Jesus was declared guilty on your behalf and paid for your sin, then this is not part of your heritage. This is not who you are. We can only have these things in Christ because of what Jesus did for us. That is the only way to be saved. That is the only way to be, to be able to stand before God righteous. Because I'll tell you what, if you don't know Christ, what will happen is this. You will stand before God on the day of judgment with your own righteousness. And I do not think any of us would like to do that because we don't have any righteousness of our own. We are sinful, sinful human beings with a sinful nature. Everything we do is tainted from, because of that. Because our righteousness, when God compares our righteousness, he doesn't compare it to like, for example, Yoav, I'm judging you and I'm going to compare you to Brad's righteousness or to Chris. No, he compares our righteousness to his. Is God perfect? Is God righteous? Is God righteous? Yes. So we will always fall short because God demands complete holiness, complete perfection. We can't do that. We can't live that way. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us because in him we have that. So that's why we... I stress, if you do not know Christ, I beg of you, I implore you, repent and believe the gospel. So that that day when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat and give an account for your life, you will not be banished to hell because you are not clothed by the righteousness of Christ. Because the book of Hebrews talks about, and also in the Old Testament, the, God is a consuming fire. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Let us be very careful with that, and let's not take that lightly. God loves us. He provided a way of salvation. 
But apart from Christ, we will, have to, we will stand before God experiencing the full measure of his just wrath for us. And be careful in comparing your righteousness, thinking I'm a good person, I'm morally just and right in comparison to someone else, because it's enough for one white lie. If that's the only sin you've ever committed, that is enough to send you to an infinity in hell because you offended an infinite God whose worth is infinite. And that in itself shows how holy he is. That's how we have to be. We cannot compare our righteousness to each other. We have to compare it to what God says. And we fall short. That's why we need a Savior. That was the purpose of the law, of the Torah, to show how we cannot live up to God's standards. So let us run to Christ. Let us repent and believe in the gospel so all these things would be made ours. So to conclude, we are in Christ by virtue of the work of God who initiated our salvation. This resulted in Christ becoming to us the wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption from God. Let us press on to know him and praise him for all that he is to us. So before I pass it on to Pastor Ron, I know he had some announcements to give. I just wanted us to stand up, and I just wanted to pray over us as a church, and then I'll just pass it on. But before I do, if anyone here doesn't know Jesus, if anyone here hasn't repented or believed the gospel, you can talk with Pastor Ron, Pastor Denise, Lee, Kelly. You can even talk with me if you're comfortable. And we would gladly share, show you what that means, what, what, what you need to do. But if today you do not know Jesus, I, I beg of you, please do not remain in that state. Repent. Churn to God. Churn to Christ. Believe in him. So that when you stand before him, you will be clothed by God's righteousness. You will be sanctified and redeemed from sin. So, I just want us to pray before we close out, okay? So, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in faith, Lord. I thank you for their lives, Lord, and for what you're doing in their lives. And, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that... uh, that we would praise you and honor you, Lord, for all that you are to us, Lord. Thank you for being our wisdom, Lord. Thank you for being our righteousness, for being our sanctification, for being our redemption. Thank you that we all, all these things that we have are because of what you did for us, Lord, not because of anything that we ever done. And because of that, none of us have any reason to boast. I pray, Lord, that those things would be realized in our lives, Lord. That it would be our life's pursuit to know you, Lord, so that we can, go, we can grow in our walk with you, but then also that we can share that with those around us, Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you draw them onto you, that they would repent and believe the gospel so these things we talked about today would be made a reality in their lives. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. If you can make sure that you're here this Wednesday, because we're going to be going over some stuff and, uh, and getting squared away. And next Sunday, I encourage you all, the next two Sundays, the 3rd and the, and the 10th, be here. This will be our last two Sundays here. It'll be sad, but it'll be good. And um, next Sunday, we're going to honor somebody that uh, needs a little honoring for all the years. So um, make sure you're here next Sunday, okay? Grab a friend.
drag a friend, duct tape them, get them here. Whatever you got to do within reason. Okay. And invite your friends because that's how we're going to grow. Sound good? Let's stand up. No, there's some people that aren't. I know. I'm not getting that old yet. Okay. What's your name? Okay, I'm kidding. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you've done. And thank you that, Lord, you gave us your righteousness, redemption, sanctification, all those things that you all so wonderfully preached this morning. You gave those to us because we don't have any. And, Lord, thank you that just as it says in that last verse, that you did it so that no one could boast in and of themselves. Because, Lord, if we could, we wouldn't need you. So, Lord, thank you that we can't boast in and of ourselves, but we can boast in what you've done in our lives. And may we go and tell somebody that today. May we go with your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to somebody and say, you ain't got it, but Jesus does. <laughs>